Well, here we are after what has been a kind of brief sabbatical for the Internal Budget Podcast. We are back. Brandon Mackey with you as always, staff writer at silver7cents.com. And, you know, for the big comeback episode to kind of rebuild the intrigue that we may have lost, I had to get the biggest guests possible, like the biggest Twitter celebrities out there. One of them's even verified now, and they're on the show today. They're the hosts of the Locked On Senators podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's Brandon Piller. It's Ross Levitan. How are you, fellas? Good to see you. I'll let the verified guy answer first, but Matthew, great to see you. Yeah, we wouldn't want any unverified information (laughs) for how we're feeling going on here. But yeah, I'm doing good. It's a bit of a gloomy day here, but it's interesting news in the NHL as always. I'd like a little more Sens news, but we got a big nugget of Sens news this week that's kind of keeping us rolling. So there's lots going on and the expansion draft is right around the corner. And then it's it's like Christmas Day and then New Year's Eve, right? You got the expansion draft, that's Christmas. And then just a couple days later, you get New Year's Eve with the NHL draft. I'm fired up Brandon I'm ready to rock too and yeah, I mean I, this comes out Saturday too right Mackie so mm-hmm. less than a week that's awesome it's one of my favorite days of the year all these kids realizing their dreams too bad it's got to be virtual again but uh man it doesn't take away how great it is for uh, for all the kids getting picked no, the spectacle was uh, was really good last year, even though the second day was a massive slog. Uh, but, to, but to Pilsy's point about, you know, the Senators-related news that we've all had, I think some fans might want less Senators news after what happened this week. Uh, Pierre Maguire, we were talking about this before the show. Um, I don't think any person who didn't have the inside track with the organization saw this coming. So uh, Ross, why don't we start with you? Uh, What are your thoughts on it, man? (laughs) Well, it gave me something to book for Leafs lunch today. And I knew we'd get a rise out of it. Gord Miller obviously has a great relationship. He was co-hosting today. I fill in uh, in the heart of enemy territory uh, doing Leafs lunch show. So that was a bonus getting Pierre Maguire on this week, but all in all, you can see this so many different ways. The where, where I stand though, mostly is, He's not the general manager. The decision-making will still be with Pierre Dorian. It's just an extra voice that can help out in these meetings and discussions. And from what Pierre Maguire has said throughout, he's going to have his toe in a bunch of different aspects, amateur scouting, pro scouting, talking with other GMs, getting a sense of what value is around the league, who's available, all these sorts of things. And I told Pilsy on Locked On Senators this week that, I don't know if there's a guy around the National Hockey League with a deeper Rolodex of context of contacts than Pierre Maguire. So from that aspect, I think it's only going to be helpful. People rag on him for his background information on guys and his, um, what would you call it? Not loving or not very much of an embrace of analytics as a whole. I think that time will tell of how much influence that will have on Pierre Doria and Eugene Melnick. And I'm open to be surprised either in a positive or a negative light, but I'm willing to give this a chance because what were we saying before the hire? The Sens have the smallest front office. They need to add, then they do. And now all of a sudden they've made it worse by adding. So I can't keep up with the negativity. I'm going to give them a chance here and, and see where it goes. But to me, an extra voice can only be a positive. Mm -hmm. Where are you at Pilsy? Yeah, I would say similar things to Ross. Like for me, the most important thing is that they hired someone. We've had such a void with that kind of position since the late Brian Murray, which is is sad because Brian Murray did such an excellent job at what he did. And really no one can replace what he did, but someone needs to try at least because 
Pierre Dorian's doing way too many things, I think. He's stretching himself too thin, and these are critical times for the Ottawa Senators. You need as much help as you can get, in my opinion. And like Ross said, this he's not the guy making all the decisions. He's more of a sounding board, maybe, maybe more of an advisory role. And also, people need to keep in mind that Pierre Maguire, the broadcaster, is probably not going to be Pierre Maguire, the vice president, senior uh, player development, right? Like, that's he's probably probably going to have a different outlook on what he's trying to do and he's not going to have so many hyperbolic statements that are going to get clicks and are going to get eyeballs right like he's going to be more passive he's going to be more Ottawa Senators focused so I I think it's good that they hired someone maybe it's not the person everyone wants but at least they have someone there and another thing that I'll add to this is the PR for the Senators as we know has not been great over the years and now you have a guy who at least is very very comfortable in front of a camera and speaking his mind. So at least you have someone who can kind of portray the message a little bit better than maybe a guy like Pierre Dorian, who is a much better scout and uh, maybe player uh, analyzer than he is talking to the media. Right. So I think Mm -hmm. there's some positives that people need to shine a little bit of light here, but also with the positives, there are some negatives. Maybe he doesn't use analytics as much as people would like, but Again, don't take what you see as Pierre Maguire as a broadcaster to be exactly the same as what he will do in this role. Until he proves us otherwise, at least. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I I think that's more than fair. Um, You know, he's a guy who's clearly excited about the opportunity. You know, Mm -hmm. like you can can tell he's excited to work for the Ottawa Senators. He's excited to be a part of this organization. People throw it back to, you know, his history as a coach in the 90s and whatnot. And I would be lying if I said I didn't have concerns based on that. Um, Were you even born though? No, but that's what I'm saying, right? Like it wasn't, uh, it's not necessarily fair to judge a guy on things that like happened, what, 30 years ago now. Yeah. Um, So, you know, yeah, kind of got to give him the benefit of the doubt there. Um, I I don't love his approach to analytics or lack thereof, I guess. Um, But it's like you guys said, I think in his current position, uh, I don't know how much of an influence he's going to have on the on-ice product. Um, I think a sounding board for Pierre Dorian is not a bad thing um, for a guy who maybe has gotten tunnel vision on a few players and overpaid for them. Derek Stepan, how are you? Um, But, you know, I'd, I'd love to be proven wrong. I really would. Um, I think maybe could they have made a better hire? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe no one wants to work for this organization after all. Um, one thing I'll say though, Mackie, and uh, without divulging too much, but they did interview people who are yeah. much more analytically driven than mm-hmm. Pierre Maguire and they, they made a decision. So we'll see how right. it works out. And they're going to have to live and die with that decision. Right. And that's what it comes down to. Like, hopefully it works out. I mean, I don't think anybody here doesn't want it to work out. doesn't, I don't think anybody here wants to see Pierre Maguire crash and burn. Imagine right? Doria handing the cup to Pierre Maguire. Twitter would explode. <laughs> and, uh, I'm, I'm here for it as well. That's, uh, that's kind of what the, the dream or the little, you know, treasure at the end of the rainbow could be for Sens fans. Do you guys buy into the theory that maybe Pierre Maguire is the GM in waiting? Uh, I said that in my original video, but I don't want to put that on Dorian. I think it was Elliot Freeman. Somebody mentioned that there are discussions already ongoing to keeping Dorian. He was extended early on in the process, in the middle of the teardown. Yeah, I think he, there was that famous trip to Barbados, and they drafted that 112-page document to success. Yes. Unparalleled, that is. That being said, what Dorian needs to do is – show this offseason that he's learned from the mistakes last offseason. You referenced Derek Stepan. 
go a step further. Erica Branson giving up an asset for him, which at the time I was for, I thought the leadership was going to help. I didn't realize that Agreed. his game has, had deteriorated. And I mean, you can say Brayden Coburn, but I think that's more on the coach for actually playing him because yeah, they got a second that. round pick out of that. You exactly. Yeah, exactly. So from that standpoint, I think that Dorian was okay from, from Coburn, but Paquette also in that trade, you didn't have to play the guys. You could have just taken the pick and told the others to, uh, you know, go on your way and all that. But let's see how he complements this roster. We know the pieces are there. We saw it. That top line won't be touched. Norris, Stu- uh, sorry, Norris, Kachuk, and Batherson. And then Stutzla had great chemistry with Pinto and Connor Brown. I'm the biggest Pinto guy you'll meet. But then the, the owner comes out and says, we need a veteran top line center. So now I'm wondering, who are you going to get? So this, to me, is a test for Dorian. What kind of player he's going to bring in in that role. And then on defense, they need a top four right shot defenseman and again i'm a nikita zaitsev guy pilsy is too we think he's a warrior out there are his numbers great not always although two goals in the last five games were bombs pretty from solid. the point gotta give him some credit there but that being said he fits in much better on my depth chart as the number three guy behind yeah. zub and behind this dougie hamilton or more <laughs> realistic options i don't know if alec martinez is a guy they'd have interest in or otherwise but to me, those two holes that the owners explicitly gone out and said, we need, okay, well, the GM's job is to complement what the owner wants and has to make decisions based on the hockey club. So to me, those two things could be the difference of whether it's Pierre Doria or Pierre Maguire in 2022-23 as the GM. Yeah, and to that end, we've had a lot of conjecture about who the Senators should go after in the offseason. There's been names like Nazem Kadri and Adam Henrique and uh, Josh Manson and, you know, everyone under the sun pretty much is going to be an Ottawa Senator, uh, including and up to Jack Eichel and Gabriel Landis-Cog. Uh, but uh, but in all seriousness, Pilsy, we'll start with you. Uh, to fill those holes that the Senators have claimed that they must fill. Um, I think, you know, there's some debate to be had about their center situation. Uh, I think people are less in love overall with their right-handed defense situation. So uh, who are some guys that you have your eye on that you think are realistic targets for the Sens that you would like to see them bring in? Well, I'll start with a disclaimer saying, I don't think this is the off season. They need to make a big splash. If they were to stand pat and say, all right, we had a great finish to last year. Let's see what those guys can do with another off season training camp, uh, our young players growing in size, getting more experience, then let's evaluate our team and move from there. But to entertain your question, there are some guys that I think could do well. Adam Larson is a guy who it looks like he's going to get a deal done with Edmonton. So that probably won't be an option. I really like the way David Savard played for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, is Ottawa going to be his top free agent choice? Probably not. Uh, Ross referenced Alec Martinez. That's another great option. Dougie Hamilton is the obvious number one choice. But like I said, I don't think now is that time you need to make that splash. So for now, I think they can stand pat, see what they can do, maybe make a minor tweak here or there. But I don't think they're quite ready and their window in the Atlantic division isn't quite ready for them to squeeze in just yet. I think it just needs a little bit more time. And then next off season, we can have those talks about taking big swings and spending big money, especially we got some stuff in house. We got to take care of first, as you know, uh, Brandon, like there's so many RFAs that still need to be dealt with. So I'm waiting for those to happen, see what our cap situation looks like. And then we can start looking more at least uh, with educated guesses, what kind of free agents we can bring in with the salary cap situation. A couple RFAs stand out in particular. Uh, Ross, who uh, who are you targeting if you're Pierre Dorian this offseason? 
Uh, initially, I had a few centers that I, I really liked the sound of. David Krejci being at the top of that list. True, but then yes. the, the more I thought about it, though, you have to play with pace to play under DJ Smith. And I think Krejci's at his best when he's playmaking and, you know, maybe slowing down the tempo, kind of like what Kyle Turris used to do in yeah. the offensive zone. And I just don't know if he's the the perfect type. I mean, the, the number one guy is Yanni Gord, but I don't think Tampa's moving him. They got to move someone, but a player like Yanni Gord, they're few and far between. That's what makes them so special. And Tampa has two of them with an even more talented version in Braden Point. But I'd love a centerman who pushes the pace Although I think Shane Pinto can be that guy. So I'm kind of torn on that front. And I already mentioned Alec Martinez on the back end. I think he would be an awesome fit. If you somehow find a way to move Branstrom to the right side, which I'm skeptical they'll do, then you've got a natural fit where he slides over. He can play the right side. And then you can attack a left shot defense. Maybe a Jamie Alexiak comes to mind. A more big, rugged defenseman. Because I know the Sens will want one of those guys. And to me, it's not Josh Brown. He's got one no. year left on his deal, 1.2 million, but you can eat that as a seventh defenseman, a guy who's in and out with injuries. So in a perfect world, I would probably move Branstrom to the right side. And then you know that the left side guy you're signing is a placeholder until Sanderson's ready after his season at UND and with world juniors, hopefully the captain there. So you can see kind of the skeleton of what's going to come. I'm probably leaning towards both you guys. Like this isn't the off season for that. What I don't want to see is them go the trade route and mm-hmm. give up assets to make that bet. If they want to spend some money and try a guy, sure. But do it in free agency, man. You could have yeah. got a player like Derek Stepan for free in, in that market. So especially like Hoffman had to wait, what, a month to get a contract? Like there were guys available. Like Paul Stastny stands out. You could have had him. Uh, On a free agent contract, instead, you have to give up assets for Derek Stepan. So to me, don't do a trade. Try to be more active in free agency. If you have to fill those holes or keep it steady, steer the ship and hope that some of these young kids can take the next step. Like I don't want to see Alex Formington on the fourth line anymore. I want to see him get a top nine role. He's the one guy I have circled. Like All credit to DJ Smith. He let the players that are going to be a part of this core get opportunity at the 22 year olds and under, but Alex Formanton was kind of a step back and he's not often a step behind as you see when he's flying around out there on the ice. I want to see him get a bigger opportunity. And if that comes at the expense of adding a guy and let's say move Nick Paul to center and have him as a third line center, then I'm all for that too. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having a guy like Nick Paul on your fourth line either. No, you know, no. like if you can roll four lines and Nick Paul is probably like, yeah, I think he's probably topping out as a really good third liner. Happy to have him on the fourth line. You're right about Formington though. That's a guy who came in, kicked the door down when he was given the opportunity and he earned it. Like he cemented his spot, um, which was, I guess, the main reasoning for not bringing a guy like Ryan Dezingle back when you have yeah. Kachuk, Stutzla, Formington and, uh, and Nick Paul on the, on your left side. I, I, I think for me, um, a, a guy like Adam Henrique, if the ducks eat salary, I think that's a good guy to have in your middle six, the next few years. I mean, Yanni Gord, I've, I've wanted him since January. Oh, I, think, I would give up. I would give oh, up a lot for Yanni Gord. Yeah, me too. I would probably give up too much. For Yanni Gord. I, I think he's signed long term too, like four or five. Yeah, he's got a decent deal. Yeah, four years. I, I'd, I'll I'd probably trade ten for him if it was straight up. Mm, yeah, I, I, I he definitely, makes the team a lot better. 
I, I definitely do like an Abramov in a second, maybe, I think. I don't know if I'm giving up 10, 10 overall for him, but, I, you know, I, I I think if 10 overall is for a home run swing, if they're going to make that trade. Fair, fair. Um, but you're right, too. I, I don't like them going the trade route just because they historically haven't won many trades, at least resoundingly. Um, so I'd, I'd rather them try to find options in free agency. Like teams are talking about trading for Zach Hyman's rights. Don't do that. If you're going to go after Zach Hyman and have him play right wing in, in place of maybe an Evgeny Dadanov, which, you know, we'll get to in a second. Um, I, I think that's fine. You know, go get that, go, but go get that guy in free agency. You know what I mean? Right. Don't, don't go get him making trading assets for his negotiating rights. Uh, but I think the conjecture right now on sense Twitter has been mainly about, uh, Evgeny Dadnov and I've been vocal in my support for keeping Evgeny, er, sorry, not exposing Evgeny Dadnov. Uh, I, I think it's a mistake. I think it's short sighted. I don't think five million dollars or ten million dollars over the next two years is that much of a burden for a team that's going to be probably at best sneaking into the eighth spot in the playoffs. Um, and I think he's a good guy to have. I mean, the right side depth is just not there for this team right now. Um, I mean, you've got you've got Drake Batherson, who's probably a first line right winger, um, at least in a couple of years. You've got a guy like Connor Brown, who I think he might be playing a bit over his head to have him as your second line guy on a competitive team. Um, and then who do you have after that? You've got Austin Watson, who should be nowhere other than the fourth line. And you've got Igor Sokolov, who you don't know if it's going to be ready to go next year. Like there's no point in rushing a player like that. Uh, so, I mean, I guess we'll start with Ross, but like, do you like the idea of exposing dad enough? Cause I think personally, if, if they expose him, that's it. Like that's who Seattle's taking. Yeah. I mean, if that protects my boy, Joey Decord, I, I might actually lean that way. Cause that's, that's, wow. my, that's my guy right now. And uh, Friday we, we put out our, um, our protected list. And I went with Joey Decord, man, over Gustafson. But I, I understand the franchise or the organization going with Gustafson. He's younger. He's, you know, got a higher ceiling based on his draft position and all that. And maybe I'm jaded because, let's be honest, two years in Belleville, he wasn't very good. And Pilsy and I were there firsthand sure. for a bunch of those starts where one of the first three shots was going in 100% yeah. of the time. And then we'd bet on Belleville and usually we'd still win our bets. So maybe I should <laughs> thank him for that. But that, that all comes around to the question of Dadanov, and I'm still hopeful that Chris Tierney's the guy that goes. I know that the Senators probably hope that with $4.2 million in real money for, uh, for Tierney and not really a spot for him as a third-line center. It seems like that's what the Senators have an abundance of right now. Now, I was pretty upset with Dadanov's season, and you can say a 32-year-old in a shortened season and not having any preseason games and all that, but – when you're outscored on the power play by Alex Galchenyuk, who played eight games for the team, and you are third on the team in time on ice in the power play, playing with the best players on the top unit for far too long, I'm already starting to be like, okay, like, what are you doing here? Are you going to get better at 33? Are you going to get better at 44, 34 when you're making $6.5 in real money? Mm-hmm. I would see a situation where if he is the guy that's gone, maybe Colin White's the right winger on the third line now. And I think that that could be a smooth transition, take some pressure off Colin White defensively. We know he had a down year with lots of injuries as kind of a caveat to that. So would I like to lose Dadanov? Not really, but I wouldn't lose any sleep over it either. So um, he would probably be my, my third choice. Like obviously number one, you hope they just punt the pick and I doubt it, but Craig Button mentioned, maybe they just take a UFA and say, all right, thanks for nothing, Ottawa. 
we'll see we'll see you in the Stanley Cup final in five years or <laughs> two years if they go the the Vegas uh, method as well. But hey, after that, it's Chris Tierney, and and third is probably Dadnov in terms of guys who I don't mind losing. Kelsey. Hmm. Yeah, for me, I I'm a little more high on Dadanov than Ross, and I he was your admit- favorite player when when we signed him. Like you, it was a you great were, signing. It yeah, was. Yeah, everyone yeah. said it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, I will admit, I am biased because I was one of those guys who, when Dadanov came back, I was watching him. Like in Florida, everyone was all over Barkov and Huberdov as and Huberdo as they should be. Like <laughs> unreal players, easily their best two players for sure. But Dadanov just quietly put up. 28 29 goals like power play points so i recognize his skill as a finisher but i i have to believe that he can't repeat the bad season he had last year i think he's gonna have a better season this year but the thing is i i wouldn't be too upset if they lost him because he's not a part of their long-term plan like i like we're already talking about him not finishing a three-year contract he signed last year yeah that's kind of where he's at right now and even like if he finishes the contract here, they're not extending him. Like they're leaving that money for the guys that are up and coming. So if if you miss Dadnov and they select him this year and you don't have him in a season where you and I, Brandon, kind of agreed that they probably won't make playoffs at best, they'll squeak into the eighth spot. And if you lose Dadnov and then you don't make playoffs because you missed out on some of his goals, it's not the end of the world. You can, right. you can adjust later. So I think if they can expose Dadnov to help avoid losing a Joey Decord or Philip Gustafson, again, biased, Ross and I are both goalies. We know these goalies well, and we believe in them. Then I would, I would be in favor of of losing Dadanov instead of one of those goalies. But unlike Ross, I do think Dadanov has some value to this team and has a skill set that if he can crack that open again, if he can get back to where he was in Florida, it's worth it to keep him for the salary hit and the dollar amount that he's at right now. But mm-hmm. he's not a part of their long-term plan. So either way it goes, I, I'm not too too invested in it, really. S- something I found pretty funny, I want to give credit. I think it was King Karos, uh, a very active Twitter account with yes. the Sens. He said, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but if you're over 27 years old and not on a long-term contract with the Sens, I just don't care about you. Yeah, I mean, there there is something to that. I, I do think that Senators fans ha- have to shed the idea um, of if you're the younger, the better right now. Uh, I know it's easy to do because that's been the mentality for the last three years. But the Senators are getting to a point where they need to start winning some hockey games. Uh, you know, like how long, like Eugene Melnick said it himself when they hired McGuire. He told Bruce Garriott the rebuild is over. Like this, this team's going to start competing this year. Is that overly ambitious? Yeah, I think so. But taking it back to Dadanov, uh, there's just so much to indicate that next year is not going to be a repeat for this guy. If you look at his underlying metrics, they are very much in line with his most successful seasons. A bit of a step back for sure. But I think it, a lot of it came down to shooting luck. I think a lot of it came down to what was a relatively ineffective power play for most of the season. Um, but there also is something to the idea that maybe they don't see him as a fit. Like Pilsy and I were talking about this before we, you know, before we started recording here. I'm left wondering after we got reports that Brady Kachuk had huge chemistry with Dadanov in training camp. Why did he never get a look on the top line the entire season? Right. Like he might have had one game with Kachuk and Norris, maybe two. And he looked good in those games when he did. Like he got points, but it was never a sustained thing. Uh, And if DJ Smith doesn't like him, then 
sure, cut bait, but make a trade. Like let him, uh, let him, you know, attribute some value and then make it and make a move for him. Don't give him up for free. Uh, well, you're getting 20 million bucks from Seattle, so they're going to take someone. Yeah, I guess. Like, I mean, that's kind of, you know, I, I think Seattle takes him for sure. Uh, if they leave him exposed, but his you know, uh, assistant coach who ran the power play in Florida just yeah, got hired too. Right, the assistant exactly. coach there. So you've, you've got a bit, but I'm looking at a guy who had one goal in the final 12 games and Ottawa won what? 10 of those games. Yeah. Like, no, they don't need contribute to the winning. No, they don't need him. But again, you know, how much of that was again, Connor Brown probably playing above his head as a top six winger. I don't think Connor Brown is a top six winger on a contending team. Um, I think he is a highly effective third liner. Uh, that's probably where I would have him. Uh, but I don't know if it's fair to bank on him. And I don't know if it's fair to bank on Batherson. Like, obviously, your expectations for those guys are high going into next year. But that doesn't mean that you should be throwing all this pressure on top of them. And again, I go back to what are you going to do if you don't have that enough? Are you going to bump Sokolov up maybe before he's ready? Like, I think if they lose that knob, it might be an expression of faith in Sokolov after the season he had. But again, this is a young player we're talking about with not even a full season of American League hockey under his belt. Uh, so I, I think if you look at the data when it comes to Dadnov, he is very much the same player. Uh, I think he needs more of a look on the top line at even strength. But to your point about the power play, I mean, yeah, he's just got to score more on the power play. But we've seen it like some some players just go through these snake bitten spurts. Austin Matthews had 34 shots in the first round of the playoffs. He scored one goal. Like how, how often does that ever happen to that guy? Well, Dadnov's not shooting at that clip and that same 12 game stretch I pulled up, he had 11 shots. So it's not like he's exactly lighting up tendies and making no. them be better than him. So uh, that's just my, my only thought. And then kind of what scares me even more is that he was on the top line in Florida with two playmakers, two guys who could get him the puck all the time. That's why he's not with like Josh Norris and Brady Kachuk are, I'm going to put the puck on net all the time. You go get the rebound with me like and try to facilitate. That's why Bastin fits so well. He's a pass first type playmaker. Whereas for me, it's just too much of the same thing. Cause I want Josh Norris to be a shooter. I want sure. him to score 25 goals and be that guy. So uh, I'm trying to, I'm guessing that's probably what DJ Smith was thinking, kind yeah. of keeping those two apart and maybe having him with two workhorses guys who are going to get down low, like Nick Paul and, Colin White, who he played most of the season with, it felt like um, when he wasn't with Evgeny or with Artem Anisimov, I should say, those two actually look good together. I feel like Dadnov's best games were with Artem Anisimov. So I don't know. On the fourth line. Yeah. I I was going to mention that. Like, yeah, you want him on the top line, but actually he played his best games on the fourth line in a limited role, ironically. That's true. Yeah. No, I I can't disagree with any of that. I think my thing is if you are going to give him up and you are going to get that money off your books, it damn well better go to good use. Um, And I worry about the way that they've scouted pro hockey players before. But Um, now we got Pierre Maguire, Mackie. That's true. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I think like I might be in the minority here, but I think taking that swing at a, at a Zach Kyman for four years, even like four years, I'm topping out at four years, but if you can get that guy six by three or six by four, I think that's a great fit in your top six. Um, Maybe even your bottom six, right? Like maybe, maybe he's that second line winger behind Batherson. Uh, I think he fits the DJ Smith mold. I think he fits, he would fit the identity of this team. That's a hard dude to play against, but also has some talent. Um, Bottom line, you got to get, you got to get better though. If you're going to give up a guy who's probably guaranteed to hit at least 40, 50 points next year, you got to get, you got to, you got to fill those shoes. Um, But I mean, in further to the Seattle expansion draft, I think there are a lot of people under the impression that 
Uh, Seattle's going to take a young goalie from Ottawa. Uh, again, I don't see it. I really don't. I think with the goalies you have available, Ben Bishop just announced he's going to waive his mo- no movement clause for the expansion draft today. Uh, you have an Auntie Ranta's going to be available. It looks like you have, um, I think Francis is going to be available from Colorado. Uh, what, why would Seattle take a young goaltender from Ottawa that, they probably aren't as high on as we are. I think that's probably fair to say. Uh, I know you yeah, guys when are. When it the... comes to Joey, for sure. Yeah. And the injury I... doesn't help. No. And I know you guys are the goalie friendly show. Um, but uh, I mean, I got love for the Senators goalies too. Uh, I think Philip Gustafson's phenomenal. Um, I think he's in a small sample size with, to your point, uh, not a great track record in the American Hockey League and one good season in the NHL, which is unfortunately similar to the Marcus Hogberg mold. Hopefully he can kind of shed that this year. Uh, but then. You know, you if you have a Chris Tierney available, if you have an Evgeny Dadanov available, if you have a guy who you know can at least slot into your lineup and be competent for now, why pick the young goaltender? Pilsy, I mean, we talked again, we talked a little bit about it. I mean, we talked about the whole show before the podcast, but uh, but uh, talk to me about how you see it playing out for the sentence and who they probably stand to lose. Yeah, so I would say the thing you're looking at here, and you rattle off some goalie names that would be immediate NHL talent, and they're gonna they're gonna need. Uh, my thinking is they're gonna go with a one A one B type goalie tandem. I don't think they're gonna try to hit a home run and have a bona fide number one, and then have like a Curtis McElhaney backup. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I don't think that's the strategy. So well, it's, it sounds like Chris Drieger's probably the guy appending you. That's another one, yeah. And he would be your perfect one B. Right. Mm-hmm. I think he's a great one B option. And then if you get a guy like Ranta, you got a you got a one A, one B there. It's not a great one A, one B, but because he's gonna get hurt. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. Like when you mentioned Bishop, I think it on uh, on paper it seems great, but do you want to invest that much in an injury-ridden goalie if you're Seattle? I, I'm not sure. I'm not saying they do or don't. That would just be a concern for me. So when you're looking at the Ottawa Senators if they do end up getting their 1A, 1B tandem NHL ready guys, then you're going to look for a long play guy. You're going to look for a guy who you're you're like, all right, somebody already spent the draft capital on him. Like, let's say Gustafson, for example. The Penguins already spent the draft capital on him. Then the Sens spent, uh, we all know the deal that happened that kick-started this rebuild, basically, and they spent the trade capital on him. And now Seattle can just be like, sweet, all the all the assets needed to get this guy and the free development is done for us. Now we can get a guy like Philip Gustafson, who we think could be a really good goalie down the road, and we can get him as a, a pick from Ottawa instead of going for a guy like Dadnov or Tierney, who may not light the lamp at the NHL level. Maybe you get a little more value if you go for the long play with a goalie. So I think maybe that's a route that could go, but... It all comes down to, we can sit here and talk about the Sens angle all day, but it all comes down to how the rest of the protected list go and what Seattle's plan is. Like, is Seattle going to go the Vegas route and be like, we're going to we're gonna get a bunch of undervalued guys who we think have untapped potential and they're going to take us into the playoffs? Or are we going to take a little bit of a longer approach here and not trade away our Nick Suzuki's and Eric Bransom's right away? We're going to keep those guys so that when they're ready, they're going to be homegrown, drafted, developed guys that we can have a real solid franchise core with. So I think it depends on a lot of variables. But if, if I'm Seattle, personally... I would look at a guy like Philip Gustafson as having a little bit more value than a guy like Chris Tierney or Dadnoff because it's a it's a lottery ticket and it's a longer play. But it all comes down to their strategy. So it'll be interesting for sure. 
Pillsy, would you say the same thing if you were placeholding Gustafson for Joey Decord there, if you're Seattle? See, I, I wouldn't quite because D- Decord, he's a little bit older and he just had that injury, which I'm sure he's going to bounce back. Oh, we yeah. Know, we know Joey very well. He's the guys uh, in the gym right now as we're talking. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like the guy is a, he's a fitness freak. Like he understands the game. He studies the game. Like he, he's, he's at his dad's in. goalie coach camp every day this summer. Like the, he just, I believe he, it. Yeah. He gets it. He gets it for sure. One thing I do want to mention with taking goalies for Seattle Something to keep in mind is that their farm team isn't ready yet, so they have to share an AHL team. We've seen what happens when you have to share an East Coast League team. So maybe they go the route, and funny enough, it worked out like this, but Vegas had to pick, uh, or they decided to pick Dylan Ferguson in the trade that they got Mark Mathod in with Dallas, and that was a CHL goalie. So that way they could get their goalie but keep him in the WHL. They ended up having to call him up because they had an emergency situation where he had to end up. Yeah, that was dead. wild. Yeah, yeah. He, he got shelled too. Shocker. They were on like their sixth string goalie in like month two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unbelievable. But it is something to keep in mind. Maybe they only pick three goalies, right? Their mm. own two, and then they can contribute one to the AHL. But they don't have that extra slot or two uh, to to kind of play around with. Yeah, I mean, I think they are definitely, to Pilsy's point, going to go the Island of Misfit Toys approach that Vegas used because it works. You know, it's 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 low on your cap hit and you can build an effective team that way. Um, maybe Ben Bishop's a guy they look at. It reminds me a lot of the Marc-Andre Fleury situation in Pittsburgh when he went to Vegas. Um, maybe not the same extent of injuries. Like Ben Bishop, you're talking about a guy that hasn't played in two years, really. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's something that could work for them. Uh, I'm of the belief that they want to fill their roster because I think they're probably eyeing being competitive next year just based on Vegas and, and based on their division. Uh, I, I think they're going to be okay, and I think they are going to want to try to be a playoff team next year. Um, now, are they going to compromise their future to do that? No, but I think they're going to look at filling out their roster the best they can. If you can have a center core uh, that's maybe second, third line guys, but you can roll four lines, I think Chris Tierney fits into that. It, it, to some extent. And I think he can be useful, maybe even on a second power play unit for them. Like the guy can move the puck. He just, he just hasn't found a role in Ottawa when he's had centers playing ahead of him. Um, funny, funny timing that you mentioned that because the Seattle times just put out their first mock draft here before the protected list comes out. And Jeff Baker, who he's been covering hockey for years, he used to cover the Habs uh, with the Montreal Gazette. He took Chris Tierney from Ottawa. Yeah. Nice. I, I really, I really think that's going to be it. Like it's just, oh, it's, shucks. <laughs> it's the safest, it's the safest play for them. It's a guy who, you know, can probably score 40 points in a good year. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, you're not banking on a young, a young goaltender, especially like even as a goalie friendly show, you guys know goalies are voodoo. Like it, it works out or it doesn't. And some of the guys that look like they're destined for stardom don't work out. Um, look at Marcus Hogberg from last year to this year. It's unbelievable the difference it can make one year to another. Um, but but to that effect, I mean, there's been a weird contingent of Sens fans that just want to cut bait with everybody that makes over like $4 million this this spring, summer. I don't get it. Uh, I mean, I am a noted, look at this guy, phone ringing. Like, how professional. <laughs> Best part is, is my girlfriend's phone. But I muted my mic pretty quickly. There. You did. You were pretty. You were on it pretty quickly. Uh, but the but what I was getting at was a guy like Colin White, who we alluded to earlier, had a really tough year this year. Um, I mean, th- why do you think Ross that people are 
so ready to give up on this kid because I look at him when he's healthy and when he's in the swing of things and he's a damn good middle six forward. I think um, he's good in his own end. He can chip in with secondary scoring. Like when he's on, he's on. Um, I get the injury concerns. I don't think the contract is a huge burden. It's really not that much. Um, but I mean, maybe try to play devil's advocate here. And I mean, give me your take on it too. Like, what do you think about the whole Colin White discourse? Well, to get back to the first point that we discussed in this show, Pierre Maguire, you won't find a bigger fan of Colin White than him every time he was on 1200. So I'm sure he's going to be banging the table uh, in regard for Colin White and saying that he needs another chance to show. Now, the the numbers aren't pretty the last, I'll even say his entire NHL career, but you get a caveat. Other than his first season with first year was Yeah, first year was really good. Yeah, you're still dash 24, but who wasn't on that team even still? Um, But yeah, you play with Mark Stone and Brady Kachuk, things are bound to happen for you. Uh, around the ice especially with stone doing so much of the work in the defensive end but that's where colin white's calling card was coming up through junior winning gold at the world juniors in that epic final against team canada and thomas shabbat this guy was touted as a, i'm gonna shut you down but then what come power play i'm gonna be right net front and i'm gonna make it a very tough place for you uh i, I don't want to say that he needs to get even stronger but it would be a benefit if he could stand in front of the net a little bit more, we know that he's had taken some shots when he does uh, Shabbat, I think hit him in the head uh, in Vancouver oh, earlier yeah. this year. That wasn't pretty, but. And he tried but, to score a goal with his head. Uh, yeah. When oh, was that? Yeah. The headbutt goal. Last so he has year, no yeah. problem taking, taking the biscuit off the dome. That's for Should've sure. Should have counted. Yeah. I want to see him get a little bit extra pushback though, when he's in those net front battles. And I mean, you can't avoid getting hit in the head with the puck, but push these bigger defenders out of the way and make room for yourself. Make yourself, um, more assertive on the ice. I feel like Colin White can get passive sometimes and maybe, you know, turn away from checks. I want to see him finish every single check. Learn from Brady. Like, you see what he does. Run around out there. Don't get out of position. But if you have a guy and he gets rid of the puck, one steamboat, two, finish him every single time. And sometimes it's just, yeah, a little too passive. So I just want him to be more aggressive. If he can put that together, the puck skills are there. The defensive responsibility is there unless – Okay, can we talk about twice last year just putting oh, a the pizza right in front? So yeah. maybe the defensive awareness does need one extra step, especially the one against Vancouver. Maybe the same game. I mean, every, no, there every was, series. There, there was two different ones. Yeah. yeah, every series. No, but I mean, the same game he got hit in the head with Shabbat. He scored um, that game, though. There you go. All right, so Colin White does it all. Forget Nick Paul. <laughs> yeah, for but, real. Hey, if, if he can step up, I mean, we've seen it at other levels. I think that he still has value. I wouldn't be moving on from Colin White this year. That's no. for sure. There's no reason to do that. Protect him. Make him feel good. Let him work hard this offseason. He just signed a ticket. Like, that's the other part of this. People talk about uh, uh, free agents. Guys don't want to extend in Ottawa. Nobody wants to sign here. Then when a guy signs six years, you're going to run him out of town in, in year two of the contract? Yeah, like, it's asinine. Yeah, that's that's a tough look. So he was brutal this year. There, there's no two ways about it. And it kind of goes hand in hand with Dadnoff. Those guys were line mates for a good part of the year. Mm. So how can those two get going is you know, a great question this offseason. You know who he, who he reminds me a lot of, at least in terms of his career trajectory, is Mike Fisher. Like that's a guy who came into the league highly touted, relatively, um, after some really good seasons in junior Took him a few years to kind of not only get healthy because he dealt with a lot of injuries early in his career too, but also to put it together, you know, like eventually, I think it was after probably the 05, uh, the, you know, the lockout season that Fisher really proved himself as a two bona fide, like really good two way center. 
like your ideal second line center. Uh, I think maybe it's going to take Colin White another year or two. Will he get to Mike Fisher level, like at the prime of his career, where you're talking about Selkie consideration? I don't know. Uh, but I think he's just that similar kind of mold. Like, do you see what I'm talking about there, Pilsy? Yeah, yeah, I see that. And I think what needs to kind of be done is there maybe needs to be, and I, I said this even before last season, like the year before, is a role adjustment. You know, like maybe Mike Fisher came into the NHL and he was like, hey, I was lighting it up in Peterborough. I'm just going to keep lighting it up in the NHL. Well, Hey, hey things- Fisher played for Sudbury in junior. Come on now. Oh, he's, he's from Peterborough, though, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, okay. So he didn't play there, but he's from there. I knew there was a Peterborough connection there somewhere. But uh, sorry for the Sudbury. Uh, the Sudbury slide. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, he he maybe has to adjust to be like, I'm not going to get the points I'm accustomed to. I need to play a better two-way game. And and it's it's tough to keep going back to this, but he was banged up. And like, uh, Ross, you wanted to play more aggressively. I think part of that is because he was a little bit banged up and maybe those aggressive hits would knock him out of the lineup again. And he was like, I can't afford to be out of the lineup right now. So I think if he has a healthy season and he can recover, then maybe we'll see a different adjustment where he's not trying to be as offensive, but he'll try to be more defensive. And if he can play at a pace where he's not worried to get injured all the time, then we might see a different Colin White guy. But I agree with you guys. It is too early to give up on a guy like Colin White. Am I stoked about his contract? Not exactly, but it's manageable and he's young. So let's, let's not blow things out of proportion here. The the Ottawa centers have bigger problems than Colin White. I'll, I'll say that sure. as kind of a finishing statement. Yeah. One of those injuries came from trying to throw a hit, right? When he smacked his head or his shoulder off the boards, or it was just a fluky thing. Uh, fellas, I know we're running out of time here, but I do want to touch on the NHL entry draft before we get into things. Uh, I know you guys are kind of ramping up your draft your coverage of the nhl draft uh there's been a lot of prospects thrown around i know it's not quite the same as last year with the level of hype and the level of intrigue i mean that's going to happen when you're picking 10th overall instead of third fifth and 28th or whatever it was um but who are some of the guys that you see the senators taking a heavy look at and uh are you is the is the goalie friendly show a proponent of taking jesper wallstad at number 10 Pilsy, before you go on here, I know you love your uh, Wallstead. I, I think, I mean, most people probably turned off the the show once I said Yanni Gord for 10 earlier. I think I'll, I'll re- <laughs> reel that one in just a little bit. I think I got a bit ahead of myself after going in, seeing he's making 5.1 over the next five years. He also has a no trade clause, so it's just not going to happen anyways. No. That being said, the Sens, I believe, will pick 10th. We did a really cool thing. You mentioned off the top, we're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And what's great about that is we have a different team covered by local experts. And what we did was a mock draft where each show would make the pick for their team. They obviously have a good idea or hope of what they would like to see happen. And it went exactly how I think Pilsy and I both would have liked it to go. I know I could speak for myself. This is option A for me is Mason McTavish, like a power center who can play up and down the lineup. I I mentioned we did a little video in this too. I don't know if it'll be out yet, but uh, he might be the only player in U18 history with a full beard. Like this guy is just, he's mature beyond (laughs) his years. Like, and that's not why you're picking him, of course, but it just like, he's a bull out there. He's already 210 pounds, like six one. And I think he can play wing. He can play center and he's going to be a absolute scoring threat as a shooter. So whatever part you put him in, he's my guy. He went over to Switzerland. He was playing in the Swiss second tier uh, with Brendan Othman, who's another name you're going to hear on the first night of the draft. And it took him a little while to get going, 
and the team was struggling throughout the season. Then he gets a hat trick and a must win game to get them in the playoffs and then leads the team in scoring in the playoffs. So once he adjusted, he's right there. He'll probably have to go back Peterborough as Phil, as he noted earlier uh, in the OHL, he'll be a couple of years away, but what a guy that, to add to the prospect pool. So he's my number one, Kent Johnson at number two, and then the goalie, Jesper Wallstead. But I think it's a fool's errand to talk about it, Pilsy, because he's gone before then. Like, there's no Agreed. way Detroit, San Jose, and L.A., all three of those teams will take, I believe, Wallstead given the opportunity. For sure. Yeah, I think uh, uh, it's the Wallstead thing It really intrigues me. He wouldn't be my first choice, but if he did fall to the Sens and they took him, I would love that. Like, hey, okay. I, you, yeah, you wouldn't see me on Twitter going nuts. That's for sure. I would be ecstatic. It'd be awesome. But on that, in that same note, I do think the Senators have a number one starting goalie somewhere in this organization. Is it Matt Murray recovering and getting back to his Pittsburgh days? Maybe. Is it Philip Gustafson once he's had more time and a better sample size than the NHL? Maybe. Is it Joey Decord, a guy who works his butt off and is a student of the game? Maybe. Is it Matt Sogard? There, who has a lot of time maybe like there's so many is it lucky here. levi yeah hey levi. levi is even further down the pipes but it could be him at one day so there's just Mandalese so many options too. there yeah there's a lot of guys so i i think there's options here but I actually prefer a guy like Cole Sillinger over Mason McTavish because McTavish brings that that powerfulness to the game, whereas Cole Sillinger brings that kind of all-round finesse that I just love. Like his his shot is one of the best in the entire draft. Like you're looking at guys like Chaz Lucius and uh, uh, and players. McTavish. Yeah, but yeah. I, but I find Cole Sillinger can do a better job of getting an accurate shot off rather than a hard shot, and he can shoot in many different ways. Like McTavish, he's gonna blast that puck through goalies, whereas Sillinger is gonna pick pick a spot and beat you clean or have uh, <coughs> excuse me creative ways to do that. And I think if you're the Sens, you need someone that can that has that offensive skill and you need to bank on hitting a home run on offensive talent because they've got the size. They've got a good, um, you know, classic shoot first center in Norris. They've got guys who can get nitty gritty, but they don't really have that one guy who's like an elite sniper. Like you could just, pick corners and I think a guy like Cole Sillinger does that and I'm a big fan and as are the Ottawa Senators of getting guys who are their their fathers uncles they have roots in the NHL and nobody knows the NHL like Cole Sillinger's dad like that guy's played for almost every single team in the league so he's got an idea of franchises that know how to do things coaches that know how to do things he has such a wider scope of the league in the game than a lot of people that he can pass down to his son so i just love cole cylinder and for me he he's my guy because i think he brings different things to the table that the ottawa senators don't have right now at that elite level like they have guys who can do that but maybe at like a middle six level rather than a top six level so what's funny about that too pilsy is that you mentioned they love drafting the bloodlines and mike sillinger to your point played for the most teams in nhl history i believe the number is 12 including a short stint in ottawa but then you look at drake batherson and josh norris their dads both played overseas and guess where dale mctavish played for 15 years in Switzerland and then grew up in carp. So then you look how close McTavish is as kind of a local product. And the story I always go back to for McTavish is the one Scott Wheeler wrote in his feature, amazing feature on the athletic. He's written a bunch. I think there's one on Cole Sillinger as well, but the one he wrote on McTavish, 
he mentions that he's just going toe to toe at summer skates with Claude Giroux. And like, that tells you, that tells you about his intensity. I think you don't really need to say more about that, but I do like Sillinger. I will say if Sillinger's the guy, you can probably call Chicago, call Calgary and say, Hey, is there someone you really want? You want to jump up and get him? Cause I think he could be available at 13 or 14. Yeah. I'm a Sillinger, McTavish, Lucius, uh, even Fabian Lysel. I'm really high on. Um, Mackie, are you a goalie guy? We kind of brushed over that. Are oh, you no, on I'm, Wallstead? I'm in for Wallstead at 10. All right. I am. If you think He's that your guy. number one option? No, no, no. Probably no. They need a center. You're right. Um, okay. But I but I think uh, if you can take that, if he falls at 10, I have a hard time not taking him. Because, I mean, yeah, if you think. Agreed. If you think he's a Vasilevsky price, take that swing. We've seen it work, like just yeah. in the Stanley Cup finals. But, even the uh, semis, even the semis, all four goalies yeah. were uh, first round picks. Yeah. And I mean, you literally had Vasilevsky and Price facing off of the Stanley Cup, right? So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you can go wrong, truthfully. I think they're going to get a great player, uh, which is usually the case at, at this point in the draft. But, fellas, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you've got uh, a lot to do this this afternoon and tonight uh it's been a pleasure having you on kind of why don't you pump the social handles pump what's going on with locked on senators podcast although pilsey i mean he's verified so he's gonna I get know, tons of followers why? anyway he's trying to defer to me like i'm the unverified bad boy <laughs> I, I, don't I don't know, know how i don't know how that happened because it's the <laughs> the irony that i'm verified and ross isn't is just hilarious but ross is the king of content so i always hand that section over to him go ahead ross no no it's all good thanks for having us mackie it's been awesome and we're gonna get you back on locked on right to, uh, right after the draft here coming up through free agency we'll get anytime uh, even deeper into maybe we'll, we'll wait because we talked about who our targets were so once they make the signings we'll get your analysis on that for sure but it's send central on twitter locked on dot senators on instagram where i literally just copy and paste what we put on twitter so send central on twitter is probably the best place to find us and uh yeah wherever you get your podcasts five times a week i think we're up at 50 episodes since the sends last played a game which it's going to take a long time to get to 150, which is what we hit um, during the COVID pandemic when kind of the show took off and we started getting more and more people on it. It's been a fun ride for sure. And there's, as you know, Mac, you never a dull day in Sensley. Now, nice. I want to go back to how you introed us saying you had to come back with a bang. You left with a bang having Mendez on. So <laughs> we got to tip our cap to the king there. Of course, Mendez is the truth. And thank you folks for listening. Uh, always appreciate talking to these fine gentlemen and uh, looking forward to jumping on with you guys anytime you like. Uh, that's all for this episode. Make sure you like the podcast, share it with your friends, download, subscribe, rate five stars, all that fun stuff. It goes a long way. Really do appreciate it. Check the fellas out if you haven't already, but let's be honest, you're already listening to Locked On Senators all the time. Keeping it locked to Locked On Senators and catch a new episode of Internal. Go ahead and catch a new episode of Internal Budget next week. Take care, y'all.